Are you ready for this? Of course you're not. I am so ready. Of course you're not listening because this is yet another episode, a special... Rapid Fire episode. So we'll play that. So so nothing. We have no hot drama, no guests. It's just me and Dave doing as many questions as we possibly can in one episode. And you'll hear the Rapid Fire... With the question, we're going into the next one. That's how we're going to separate them. Yep. Would you just? It's it's all question on answer action. Derek Long asks, "Love the show, guys. For simple sites where WordPress is overkill, what would you guys suggest? I'm in the process of making a site that I can update myself, so there's really no need for a CMS. However, I would like a blog for the site. What are my options?" Well, Derek, welcome to the wonderful world of static site generators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could talk about them. I think they're cool. I actually didn't even think about that when they read the question. But oh, was- really? That's all I think about now. Um, <laughs> I, I'm like, how could I not do this in <laughs> with the database? But, uh, dude, static site generators, I mean, it's sort of – I had a friend, Robert, kind of describe it as hearkening back to the day where we did, like, Dreamweaver templates and stuff like that. But it's totally different. Um Basically, you make a site and then you run a Ruby gem against it, a compiler, sort of like how we're compiling, you know, HTML with Haml, you know, or compiling CSS with SAS or compiling JavaScript with CoffeeScript. Now you can compile websites with Jekyll, and Jekyll is actually it's made by the guys at GitHub, so you kind of know it's pretty good. Um, there's also other, you know, there's Node based, PHP based. This one's Ruby based. It's just a gem ins- that you install. You say gem install Jekyll, and then you say like Jekyll server or something, and then it just starts running, and it, it'll compile your site when you save changes. So, and, right. And- so you you would write a blog post in something like Markdown, and then when this compiler runs, it would it will take your template which you've created, which is a separate file, and this Markdown which you created, which is your content, and like squish them together into what ultimately gets served to your website as an HTML file. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like so you get like layouts, a layouts directory and a posts directory, and you fill those with layouts and posts. And your layout is going to be like your a more advanced version of your header footer files for WordPress. You know how you have those those mm-hmm. those like stubs. Um, so this is going to be like one layout file that you just say like it's like a a liquid tag, I believe is what it is, and it just says content. And then your content fills into there. It's beautiful. And then the advantage being it's really fast. Number one, because you just you're deploying static files, so your server needs to. There isn't even a database on your server. What you push to your server that gets is just static files only. Yep, that's why they call it a static site generator. So 100 percent secure. There's nothing to hack. There's no no database. No hacks, totally secure. What is going on? Okay, so, but yeah, it's totally awesome. I I think I'm gonna I'm in the process of moving my blog over to that, and probably by the time this is out, it will be done. So you could kind of, you know, see how I'm doing. But yeah, man, it's just HTML. It's cool. 
Yeah, that is cool. And you could put it up um, on GitHub and you know, you yeah, that's true. Like your blog post could be on GitHub. I would do that on CSS. It's just a, it's it's too late on something like CSS. I'm, I'm and it's it's more complicated than that. I'm actually very happy with uh, using WordPress on CSS. Well, when I read this question, I thought of it in a different way. I was like, Derek, what are you saying? You like? <laughs> he's like, oh, it's WordPress is overkill, but I want a blog. You're like, okay, well, if you need a blog, you need – when I think of blog, I think, well, okay, well, you're going to need then some kind of rich text editor thing to write your blog posts in. You're going to need some user authentication so you can log in and write those posts. You'll probably have comments, which is this whole other data structure. You need a database to keep the posts in. And it's like, so WordPress is all of a sudden doesn't look like overkill, but it looks like meeting the minimum requirements for a blog. Yeah. You know, I just – so I don't know. I, I don't know. I understand. I, I so this is something I've done too, Derek. I've been in the past like somebody we were just contracting out to like a small site, and they're just like, dude, it's really simple. And I just did an index.php and a single.php, and that was it. And and then you just do like your normal WordPress loop. You don't you know you don't even install plugins. You could. I mean, why not install like an SEO plugin or something? But yeah, man, I, I you, WordPress is easy, about as easy as it gets, and you get some power. But what do you? Ah, I don't know. Or sometimes we have sponsors on the show. <laughs> I almost thought for a second that this is one of the guys, one of our friends that we talked with at, at Squarespace, is named Derek too. And I was like, I wonder if this is like a disguised <laughs> Derek who was like. Uh, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna not do a you know may, maybe we'll uh, we'll hold that off until we for sure have uh, as a sponsor. But I think using something like Squarespace is is, a, is an alternative. Yeah, it, it's just whatever gets it done. I think if you're stalling out, and gosh, I hope by the you know I hope you finish your website before we got to this question. But um, if you're stalling out on that decision, just go with what you know. That's sort of the rule of thumb there. Cool. All right. Well, here we go. Next question comes from Juan Ortiz Zaforas, and he's asking, I'm building a personal site, and I want to use it for a font that comes installed on my Mac. Can I just use CSS at Fontface, or would that be illegal? I read the Apple documentation, insert link here, and did what they say, but it hasn't been very helpful. So I'd appreciate some information about font usage on the web. Thank you very much. So I wonder what font it is. Like what comes, is it, I bet it's like, like Helvetica new or something. Like you can't like totally count on that being available on all. Yeah. Or on, like, on all. I don't know, like Trahan or Adobe Garamond or something. Yeah. Papyrus. I, I don't even know. It's like something that like, yeah, it's installed on most Macs, but he wants to make sure that it's, um, uh, works looks just like that on all computers, which you could do through at Fontface um, if you wanted to. So the question is: is it is it illegal to do that? Which you you know, so you would just go find the font file on your computer, and you'd go over to Font Squirrel, and you drag it into Font Squirrel, and and get the all the versions you need for it. number one. Font Squirrel has a blacklist, so if if they know that it's an illegal font to do that on, they just won't let you do it for one thing. Um, 
not that you couldn't still get it done. There's other ones that don't have a blacklist that you could you could still do it on. It, it, aren't, you, aren't we just going to say it depends on the font? You just got to look at the terms of uses for the font, which can be probably a little hard to track down. I mean, what if, what is the terms of use for papyrus? No idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, I so yeah, I would say if you don't know if you have a license for it for the web, don't do it. Assume that you don't. Yeah. Assume that you don't. Unless, like, if you didn't download it from, well, even if you downloaded it from freefonts.com, like, <laughs> if it didn't include a web font version, then assume you don't have the license for it and you have to, like, purchase a web. A lot of times they come as a folder when there's a text file in it or whatever that just says what the license is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? So you could also, and this might mess up your your site, like line heights and everything like that one, but maybe specify that one first and then get a font you can use second in your font stack. I know we did that for Reagan's site once mm-hmm. a long time ago. We used Universe, which is not – it's a font Reagan owns, but it's not a font that everyone has. And so – um, so we specified that first in the font stack and then we fell back to something like Helvetica or something after that. Sure. And, uh, that, that's an awesome way to get around it. it Cause if you think most of your visitors are going to have a Mac and it's in their font stack, just, just specify it. That that's probably the best thing you could do. Cause Reagan sort of, you know, not everyone has universe, but enough designers and people who are, who uh, like fonts and stuff are going to come to his site, so they they might have it. So, um, yeah, that was you know, there's nothing. It's not illegal to specify a font in your font stack. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I, it's, it's those font stacks. So when he said Dave says font stacks, literally in CSS, you say font family, and then you list like Helvetica, and then you say comma Arial or whatever. So if it doesn't have Helvetica, it will just fall back to, to Arial. And the web does this really well. I think we even talked about in the Tab Atkins episode. It can do it character by character. Like it will try that one particular font. And if the next character isn't present in that font, it'll fall downwards to one that does have it. Which is why, like, when you put a snowman character on the web, it will for sure be a snowman because it will just fall. You will keep falling back until some default font that does have the snowman character is in it. It's amazing. Very cool. Uh, but yeah, like, they used to be more popular. Now that at FontFace exists, people are like, "Screw font stacks! I want you know, I want my font to be everywhere." We understand what you're saying, uh, Juan, but just uh, don't, don't, you know, if you the best sentence was Dave's sentence where he said that if you're not sure, don't do it. Yeah, and if you want cool fonts to be web fonts, i.e., Gotham from HF and J. The best thing you can do is not steal because they can, you know, it, it's sort of like, do we want HF and J or, yeah, Huff of Fair and Jones? Okay, you're right. <laughs> or Fair Jones? Yeah. Anyway, those guys, HFJ. Um, if you want them to release Gotham as a web font, like, then then they need money to do that. And then if they're spending money on lawyers to hunt down people who illegally steal the font and put it up on, you know, stuff like that. So that's, you know, you're preventing it from being accessible for everyone. So in my humble opinion, I side with the typographers I tend to because they the, – the more money they get, the more quality fonts we can use on the web. That's my opinion. Amen. Boo. Boo. Next question. Cool. 
Parvez Ansari links up an old CSSTricks.com post where it was a, a, a technique I posted on responsive data tables. And what we mean by that is that, you know, mobile devices um, or, or really any device with a really small screen has a small screen. And and sometimes we can rearrange things uh, um, to, to work better on small screens. That's what responsive design is all about. But how do you redesign, like, literally, like, imagine, like, baseball scores, you know, where it's like... It's it says the uh, the round. What do they even call them? In- innings, <laughs> innings, <laughs> sports. Welcome to the and then the two teams in the sc- that can o- that can only <laughs> that can only squish so far horizontally before it's going to get cut off. Like you, you can't just like move uh, the other half of the innings down. Like that maybe you maybe you could with some fancy dancing, but um, uh, you can't in general. The structure of a table in HTML and CSS doesn't just break tables. It will literally just uh, be too wide for your screen to look at. So I posted this post about responsive data tables. Like, what can we do to make it make a, t- a table read better on a small screen? So it looks like a good, useful data table on a large screen, but then as you shrink it down, it like shuffles some stuff around and, and still makes for a good viewing experience on a small screen. And Parvis says, okay, great. So you can do that now, but what about sorting? What, you know? And I'm like, uh, so that, that's his question is like, how do you, how do we both have a responsive table table and a sorting? <laughs> do you have any, that's any clues? Tough. I mean, yeah. cause then like you're, it's kind of a twofold problem. I mean, you're, you're getting into, you're getting into like viewport size, like squishing a table down and having too many rows or whatever. And then you're also getting into like touch targets, you know, like it's easy to like slam a table and make it really small. I can do that. But like, then it's got to be like clickable and or tappable and stuff like that. And, um, it's tough. One thing you could do, you know, make some general use case scenarios, like a person on a phone is maybe, you know, and I wouldn't even agree with this, but I'm going to say <laughs> a person on a phone doesn't want to like table sort data and, and like get really granular about their tables, but maybe somebody on desktop does. So maybe you triggered the JavaScript to kick in only after a certain viewport width or something like that. Right. Uh, Dave was just talking totally just theoretically there. Um, but that's that's exactly right. So Filament Group posted a responsive data table solution that was kind of similar. It, it, it what it did was it just literally removed some columns of data uh, when you get smaller, but it didn't remove them entirely. It put a little drop down menu above the table, and you could click it, and it would open it up, and it would be full of those missing columns, but with little check boxes. And said, if you want to add these back in, you can click it. Fair warning, it's going to stretch the table too wide and you're going to have to do some horizontal scrolling. But, you know, it fits, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. The, the table's gone. So a thing, let's, let's think through it the other way. So you have sorting, right? The way sorting works on desktop size tables generally is that the data is sorted into columns and you can click one of the headers of the columns and it will rearrange the rows according to the data in that column. So you have, there, there's something you click and it rearranges the rows. Well, in responsive data tables techniques, there's still a concept of a row. They're just kind of fatter 
you know, and grouped. So you just need something that you can click on to sort those rows. So it, much like the filament group had a drop down to add in new columns, you could have a drop down menu that's the the choices in the drop down menu were sort by score, sort by last name, sort by whatever. You click it, and it still rearranges the rows and the thing. So you just got to think outside the box a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some inside. riffing. Think outside here. the table. Yeah. Oh, the table. Ah. Um. I'm gonna do some riffing here. I need to get that sound effect in. But I mean, maybe you offer it as a CSV or something, and that's a link that shows up at the top or something like that. And then they can click that and dig into it. And in theory, it should open up in the device's default CSV application. Mm. Have you ever thought about that? Probably not, because it's which awesome. has sorting built in, and sorting that's probably done better than your JavaScript way can do it. Yeah, I mean that could get extreme, you know, like yeah. with the huge web app, and and yeah. you don't want to give somebody like a web app full of data, but <laughs> if it's their data, like my accounting stuff, you know, yeah, like yeah. let me. Good question, it though. It's good it to think about. It's good to think about this stuff, and the answer, as ever, is. I don't know. Hard question. You got to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Here we go. Next question comes from Lee Wood. What do you guys do to motivate yourselves? I find that I start out well on a project, then after a short while working on it, get sidetracked and never end up finishing it. Mm. Chris, I'll defer to you as That's the last sad. person to launch I'm sorry, a side Lee. project. <laughs> I'm sorry about your lack of motivation, Lee. I, you know, I, <laughs> what do you even say to this? You know, like Ooh, I don't know. You, yeah, <laughs> you're excited because you're excited, and if you're not excited, it's because you're not excited. You know, you can't yeah. force yourself to feel emotions that you don't have. Um, it, if it's like this really chronic problem. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not a psychologist. I guess I don't. I don't know why you're not excited. Maybe you should. Maybe. Maybe the reason that you're unexcited is 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 you shouldn't finish that project because you just don't care anymore. You know, like what's the what's what's the point in finishing a project that you don't care about anymore? That yeah, that's what I was. Thinking. Maybe it's something you're not passionate about. You know, because if it's something you you like are super stoked on, like an idea, like I mean. It should keep you up at night. It should like, <laughs> you know, like it, it's like consuming to where like mm-hmm. you're just going to finish it um, hell or high water. But uh, to mot- I, I will say this. I, I've noticed I'm, I'm pretty decent at ideas. I'm decent at execution. But the maintenance after that, like keeping things going, like after it's launched or after it's been out, like that's tough for me. Because yeah. I get sidetracked by like work <laughs> or you know job or something like that, so that's tough for me. That's so I a can, big big deal, isn't it? I, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. just now realizing. Hey, one of the ways I can do <laughs> do good at CSS tricks is I get to I, I'll come up with an excuse like if I update this, it's like free new content. I'll literally repost it. <laughs> Like it's like it's yeah. a new thing. I've I've done that before on CSS Tricks. I'll be like, hey, if I'm going to spend the time to update it, I want as much content points for you know. I want to f- like feel feel as good about this as uh, writing a new blog post because mm-hmm. I did I did just as much work updating as that I did. So I try to trick myself into the the updating it is uh, 
is, I don't know, is, is equally worth writing a new blog post. Uh, I definitely, definitely have problems with that. It's it's a big deal for companies too. This is a random story, but I really have you ever seen the chosen jQuery plugin that makes select elements into way nicer select elements? No, that that sounds cool. It was made by a company called Harvest, which has been a sponsor on CSS Tricks in the past. They released it, so you know you know what a select is, right? You just click in it, and there's a drop down menu, and you pick something out of it. I have seen this. This is an awesome way. This is awesome. Yeah, it's way out of date. That it is it, huh? on GitHub. Not way out of date, but like there's another library that kind of forked it and has is taken it a lot further. And, and I shouldn't even say out of date. I think it works fine. It's just kind of one of those things where look at look at on GitHub, right? Are you on the page? I'm not on the yeah, page. I'm how here, how I'm many here now. how many pull requests and issues are there? Hundreds, oh, right? Two hundred and seventy four issues, forty five pull requests. Wow. So. They yeah. kind of just let that thing go, hey? Who's running this thing? Dave Rupert? Waka, 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 waka. Hey! I mean, just about. But no, that's, yeah, that's indicative of, of my same problem is like, oh, man. Okay, I got to keep, I got to stay motivated to keep it going. Like the support side of it, the like. Fortunately, things like Fitbits are like. 60 lines of code, you know, so it's not that hard to keep all up in your brain. It's really kind of sad when you forget how your own stuff works, <laughs> which happens. <laughs> There's only so much place you can keep, like, you know, like we even like kind of talked about at Wufu and SurveyMonkey sometimes that there's there's it's it's the app is so big there's no one person that really grocks the whole thing. Right, right. Which is a yeah. weird. It's a weird thing. It's easy to lose parts of it. Oh, anyway, that was that. We got sidetracked there. Let's kaboom to the next one. Yeah, no, I hope that I hope that helps you, Lee. I, like, I, I think you just got to stick with it and make sure it's a good idea. But I don't. I'm and don't. Sorry, I'm just going on a, a soapbox here. But don't like consider like abandoning a side project a bad thing because it's like you, you probably learned something while you were, you know, like getting into this idea maybe you're like oh i need to relearn some javascript library or something like that that that's all a net gain um but you know if you like ended up getting divorced or something for a bad idea that's don't do that anyway that's all i'm gonna say so boom. next question from evan huntley uh long time listener of this show uh, what sorts of solutions are you all using for responsive images in WordPress? To me, Picture Fill seems to be about the best solution, but I don't know how to begin setting this up within WordPress. Can you talk about your experience? Hmm. A couple things come to mind right away. And one of them is that I kind of like to battle against this notion that in WordPress is some like mystical land where everything has to work differently or be compatible with WordPress or, or whatever. And it's just not really true, right? Like a solution that works outside of WordPress will work in WordPress too. You know, it's not that, yeah. it's not this mystical world, but, but at the same time, WordPress does give you some, some cool benefits that maybe you, we could harness here for our advantage. And the big one I'm thinking about is there's a, there's a built-in media uploader in WordPress and it's, it's constantly getting a little better. I know it's, it, it's in their sites to make really better in one of these releases. But one of the things that already does is if you take like a big, like two megabyte image and you upload it, it will make, it can make, different sizes of it automatically. You can have WordPress do that. By default, it at least makes one. It makes a little thumbnail size of it. Mm-hmm. 
No, I think it makes like three or something. Like, depending on they they like WordPress has built-in breakpoints like six forty or. 300, 640, and then whatever. And you can totally, it's like a one-liner in your functions.php or a little functionality plugin to to change what it generates. It's very easy. And and how cool is that, right? That's one of the biggest problems with responsive images at at my point. Like, I want to get this going on CSS Tricks. I want to get something going on to deal with responsive images there. But I only have one copy of all images. I I, I don't have... the 5,000 images that are, of, are around on CSS Tricks blog posts, I don't have them all in five different sizes. But I could maybe leverage WordPress to make some smaller versions of it for me. I could have it run through or something. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, where, where are you? Where's your mind headed with this? Well, so yeah, like WordPress, like they have, I don't know if you code your own themes or whatever, but you can do like a featured image on a post or something like that. Um, I would argue like your content images, like your in-post images are probably going to be smaller and less of a big deal, you know, in general, like you, like a screenshot or something. But that's not necessarily true. But like if you have like a big featured post image, like, you know, I'm super cool, you can set a featured image. And then in your in your theme, when you're coding that out, you can like use like get the image large or the post thumbnail large the post thumbnail medium and in like you you could really simply write a picture element like that really easy yeah and then it's a matter of doing some javascript but but like chris said you got to do it all through the uploader um and i've started doing that with like assets like um you know like logos and stuff like that just because i'm like i'm probably gonna get get to that later so rather than stuffing it in my theme or something like that. Mm-hmm. I look into, just look into all the different responsive images solutions. There's a post on CSS Tricks where I go through a number of different ones. There's one called adaptive-images.com by Matt Wilcox that would work with WordPress pretty well. And it's kind of the one I'm leaning towards because it, it when an image is requested and, and I don't have a smaller version of it to serve, but it has decided a smaller version would be appropriate, it'll grab the big one and with PHP it'll shrink it down and save it and then serve the smaller one, and the next time it has the smaller one, so it needs it. So I, I don't have to manually create it, just they're, they're, they're created on demand, which is nice. That's cool. Uh, and I heard about one from Dave just the other day. There's a, uh, this isn't directly about responsive images, but it's about being responsible with your images, and that's, it, that's losslessly optimizing every image that you use on the web. And there's one, the Smush It plugin for WordPress, which I have bookmarked here. I haven't tried it, but Dave, you... you I'm thumbs up. It yeah, like as soon as you update it, it runs it through Smush It so that, uh, which is basically a lossless image optimizer. It strips metadata and useless crap out of images to make those files smaller to begin with, which is part of a good responsive images solution, is starting with the most efficient image you can. Yeah, we, um, this is maybe a deep dive, but like on Type Foundry, when we worked on that site at Paravel, we were making these big banner graphics you know, PNGs, but they're only like three color and they came out to be like 20 K after we smushed it. And they're like, I don't know, 1300 pixel wide images. And we're, you know, that's like insane. And sure. I could like serve a eight kilobyte image, you know, but I guess we're just in the place where, wow, we got a really reasonable image size for nothing for just, you know, choosing less colors. I don't know. There's, Lots of choices you could do in the future 
Evan. Oh. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird, weird place to be. Oh, that's funny. I was like, you know what we're doing on Shop Talk Show? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no. I made all these, I made all these, uh, Featured images 250 by 250 when I uploaded them, but it looks like they're just being served at 125, which is WordPress doing that automatically. I, I probably did that. That's no, it's fine. Bad. It's not, but it's good because it's it's making the websites faster. But I made them that way just so we could we could uh, we could sh- they look all wicked sharp on Retina. But then it's you know it's literally quadruple the file size. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. What do you do? Wow. Uh, cry right now yeah it's weird this is like a hot topic for a reason right now all right let's next let's do let's do the next one bobby leary you want to read this one chris this question deals with back end php slash mysql and front end i guess i didn't need to read that sentence (laughs) if you have a form set if you have a form with a set of checkboxes and you store the state's of those checkboxes, either checked or unchecked, in a database, and you're saving that value. Like as soon as you check it, it uses the jQuery AJAX function to save that value to a database. Then, how do you load that page for the first time? How do you initially load those checkbox states on the initial page load? Do you use PHP and MySQL to load load in the data and set the checkboxes value, or do you use jQuery AJAX to to go grab the data? So you know what you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to think this through as to what I do. I can, I can say what I would do. No, you go. Yeah, for do it. do your do your. Okay, I, I would think in general, like, yes, the page load. You know, you you should have a little bit of of PHP on that page that grabs that value from the database and puts the right value in the checkbox. When the page loads, I mean, it seems like at least that seems like the the traditional way to do it. But then you are kind of writing things twice. You're writing, uh, I don't know, you're writing it in two different kind of places. Really, I don't think there's any problem necessarily with load the page, then use jQuery AJAX to go get that value from the database and bring it on the checkbox. But here's the thing: make sure that you don't even show that checkbox and le- until you know. The, the value is the correct value from the database. Don't like load all your checkboxes uh, 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 in the markup and then, and then fire an AJAX request to go get the data and then change all the checkboxes value. Like, can you imagine how wonky yeah. that would be? All, like all of a sudden, all the checkboxes just switch values. You're like, whoa, what was that? Like, just hide them like until you have the data. That had taken over. You know, yeah. like a robot is now controlling the screen. Which yeah. Is true. Yeah, I would. I would rely. I'd do the same thing. I would rely on the PHP to like show the data. Um, And and my angle on that would be if you have any events binded to like let's say a checkbox, like every time you uncheck a checkbox, a cow walks across the screen or something like that. Yeah, which everyone's doing these days. that event would then fire, you know, like if you went and got the the data, like the JSON data and pulled it back in. So um, I've also in the past I've done um, sort of where it didn't matter. Um, I did – I stored the data in local storage and then, you know, on initial page load or site load or something, I would load in the data. But I don't know if that was a really sturdy solution to be honest. Yeah, I can see that though. Um, 
Yeah. I would think theoretically, you know, the kind of the, I don't know if this holds up under today's development standards or not, but a lot of times you use Jake, <clears throat> you make everything work um, without Ajax, right? So you have these checkboxes and then there's a submit button. And if you click the submit button, it posts that form to a URL that's ready to accept that post data. And then that script saves that stuff to the database. And all that happens when you add Ajax on top of it is maybe the submit button get hides. And then when you click that button, it still posts the data to that same script uh, but it just it just it just happens asynchronously or whatever. It just it just happens in the background through JavaScript. So like the lo- you don't really have to write things twice. It's just it's just it's just nice. It just happens automatically with the AJAX style. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So final word. I, I mean, are we gonna do? I I think do initial page load like using yeah. PHP. Because Seems like also- the sturdiest way. Yeah, you got a fallback built in. You've got, you know, you've got like straight up it's only one trip cuz the PHP would have to run anyway. So Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I'm go. gonna say there. There you go. Hey, here we go. Another question from Evan Huntley. You win our two-question prize. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never heard that one. Surprise! The soundboard is full of surprises. All right. Evan, thanks for coming back. Uh, your question to us is, with regard to responsive design, again, you must be into it. Uh, what are we polyfilling media queries for IE8 and below? Uh, or why are we polyfilling media queries for IE8 and below? Are there devices out there with smaller screen size that are running any older versions of IE? Can't we just serve IE8 and below users flexible grid given that media queries are a nice enhancement for the modern browsers we find more commonly on non-desktop devices? This is becoming kind of a sound bite lately. The like, why bother? I, there is no mobile IE8. Right? There's no mobile IE7. There's no mobile IE6. So why do we use things like Respond.js or whatever? Or yeah, that, that's the one that polyfills those, right? Because yeah. it doesn't. But you know, Evan, th- just because there's no mobile version of it, it d- there's still 13-inch laptops. There's still 11-inch laptops that run Windows XP that bring it up at a really small resolution, right? It's not because the, you know. It doesn't necessarily have to be a mobile device. It could just be a small laptop. Yeah, I think, well... Or just I'm don't thinking, do it, and I agree. <laughs> yeah, I I would say don't do it. I mean, it's would be really cool to like not have to think about it, and they just work like with Respond.js or something like that, which works really well, I, I'll say. But I just like the idea of giving them a degraded experience. I will say, I think Windows Phone 7 identifies itself as IE 7 or 8 or something like that. And therefore, like if you're building anything off of that, you can get in a pickle. Um, But whatever, I don't know. It's not a huge deal. It should, it's, yeah, so it's probably not a great browser there. But again, that has like, not even a percent of the market share, so I wouldn't even worry about that one. I M H O. 
so what? Okay, so we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But I mean, Evan just he does bring up a good point, and it's it's a worthy thing to be talking about, and that's that it's that you know uh, you know whatever. I'm not, I don't I'm not even going to say it. I, we already talked about this. I somebody at a like a CSS summit. Um, I saw us in there. You know, we we're fans of them at the show, but somebody. Equated it to necrophilia, like trying to, <laughs> to get polyfills for uh, IE8, but in uh, below. Uh, I like that idea. <laughs> just, just like you're really <laughs> a dead. You're trying to animate a dead corpse. Know? Yep. By sticking it full of stuff. <laughs> you're trying to stick a dead corpse full of stuff. <laughs> yep. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Uh-huh. All right. Here we go. Good good segue. <laughs> uh, Josh Reeves, Josh Reeves, SAS question for you. I love the idea of putting my media queries directly in line with the selectors they apply to. Uh, what he's saying there is literally you, you can use uh, uh, nesting in SAS, which is one of the, like, you know, it's a little underappreciated feature, perhaps. It just feels really great once you've been writing nested CSS for a while. You can put a media query right nested within there. So if you, you might say, like, dot page wrap with equals 80%, but at media query max width 600 pixels dot and then and then not even put not even put dot page wrap again right literally the same syntax as a media query just put width equals 100 percent, and it will know it will like bubble out that media query and know to write that uh, move that media query out it's kind of I, I know it's hard to explain code exactly on the radio but it's neat you can nest media queries just like you can nest the rest in sass uh, but what he says there is um uh, but in my output file, I get the media query syntax repeated every time he does that. This is um, adding unnecessary bloat to my files as opposed to all my pre-SAS workflow or just adding it once at the bottom of the style sheet, putting your all your media queries or you know just like one big media query at the bottom of the file uh, was a little more efficient because the media query wasn't repeated a bunch of times. So and then he says I've resorted to just adding him at the end of the CSS file. I'm just like he just like uses his old school one. He's like, have you run into this issue? How can I fix it? And then he links to a GitHub issue where this is kind of an open issue in SAS. So do you follow that? Do you? Yeah. So I and I've run into this problem before. Actually, like what you do, it's so easy to just be like, you know, li. Uh, background color pink, and then your at media query or at media screen and mm-hmm. min width 900 pixels, background red. You know, it's so easy to do that. And then you look at the generated CSS or you're trying to work through it, and it's just like, whoa, 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 it's happening. Um, we recently got into a position we were doing that, and we kind of were just like, and like, because we were handing it off, we had to like, convert it to a CSS, like just straight CSS. Uh-huh. They they weren't working with the compiler. So we we decided to by hand kind of compile all the media queries together. So but part yeah. two of this story is are you ready? Mm-hmm. Later on we we got uh, asked to make our code more componentized. And the idea there, if you've listened you could go back and listen to the Snook episode or the uh, Nicole 
episode, Sullivan episode, uh, and learn about modularization. But they asked us to like make our code more modular, which was cool. Um, you know, and, and if I had done it right in SAS, I could have like, you know, basically like if you're doing like a navigation, you just do like underscore navigation just for a partial and just only code that deals with navigation goes in a navigation partial. And so then your media query is totally bundled there and Mm -hmm. like, and you could really intelligently kind of build off of that. I, I think had I like, like looking back, I could have like saved so much time if I just done the, the, nested media query a little bit better let's yeah i'm getting honest with you here this is <laughs> this is tough i'm in the middle of this as as we record this i'm like almost towards the end of of my redesign of, of css tricks and i just i just nest away and i use the i use the cool thing where i use named media queries so i can just say include breakpoint uh, and then i do my mama bear papa bear thing which is my, that's just how I arbitrary name, name them. So at least I don't have to repeat that. But in the generated output, yes, there's little, little, little peppered media queries all over the generated CSS. Number one, yes, that feels a little weird. It does seem a little bloaty, but it's, it's a, it's a repeated string and a repeated string is just the kind of thing that gzip eats for breakfast, right? So it's, uh, the, the, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't yeah. increase the yeah. file size that much. Uh, it's, it's not as absolutely e- efficient as possible, but think it is a micro optimization. If you're really spending your your whole day sweating bullets on this and you're not doing bigger performance issues, you're doing the wrong thing here. So be be cautious about that. If you're going to refactor your whole CSS just because this little dumb thing. Uh, number two, it is already a known issue, and I've seen tweets from what's his name, Nathan Weisenbaum, right? Is the lead the kind of the head lead dev on SAS? He's aware of it. He has some ideas, I think, bouncing around his head on how to how to fix this thing. Uh, his concern, I think, is he wants you to be able to author and put them everywhere. And to be able to then just move them all to the bottom of the page affects um, specificity. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like Because it's later. Because it's just later in the page. And if two things have the exact same specificity value, the later one wins... So it's tricky because you can't just go up and move stuff on people in SAS. It needs to work just how it looks like it's going to work in SAS. And to just all of a sudden up and move them all to the end, while it might be very slightly more efficient, uh, can also have some unintended problems there. So, Josh, what I would say to you is just forget about it. Just, Just use them nested. It's not that big of a deal. I understand that you're a little concerned about the... Thing or or do what you're already doing and just and just be like okay this is a big enough deal for me that I'm just going to resort to my my old school thing and just put my media queries at the bottom of the page. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I I just looked around. It's issue one sixteen on SAS, mm-hmm. and uh, looks yep. like um, it's getting. You know, obviously it's getting upvotes and stuff like that, but um, I think they're they're getting something close. And I've seen, I think Compass has this thing called Responds to. It's like a function, but I don't know if that is exactly it. That that'll solve it either. But that's just a named yeah. mixin. 
Somebody just named okay. their mix and respond to. And I named mine Breakpoint because that's how I think about it, but it's just, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully it'll get solved. Sorry, Josh, we, we can't fix it for you, but uh, I would feeling? say pursue the modules. Like, think, think module and, and like, you're going to end up with one media query per module, and that's really good. So that's what I would do. Kaboom. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to our our, our rapid-fire episode. Uh, we, kind of <laughs> we kind of have a crazy end of the year between me and Dave and a bunch of travel and stuff, so the... Um, when we're recording this is probably nowhere near when it airs. We're, we're recording this in advance, and we're just going to uh, kind of put it out when there's a lull to, to make sure that you guys get a new episode every week. So if there's any weird continuity problems or it just so happens by the time that you listen to this, this has already been solved in SAS. That's okay, although I kind of doubt it, so it's okay. Uh, just, a, <laughs> just, a, just a little heads up there. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You got any final notes, Dave? No, just uh, rate us up in iTunes, follow us at Shop Talk Show on Twitter, and thanks so much for listening. ShopTalkShow.com.